Welcome, this is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only podcast that always has good vibes. We've got a family pod, it's me, it's 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 Tim Cato, it's uh, it's, it's Dave Dufour, Mike Pellucci, Austin Gurria, you know everybody, and we're here to do a vibe check, you know, not on our podcast, always good vibes, we're here to do a vibe check on the Mavericks, who are 3-3, three and three, who had a... Awful, embarrassing loss um, over the weekend on Saturday. They rebounded with a, you know, I believe eleven point win against Orlando on the second night of a back to back. But I, I think the state of the team at three and three is something we're all trying to figure out and grapple with. And I'm just going to go instantly into vibe checks. Let's start with Mike. Let's start with Mike. What are you feeling? You know, it's Halloween night, so let's say the vibes are a little spooky, that the Mavericks uh, look this shaky, that they could easily be a 1-5 in five team right now, uh, that I don't think there are a ton of answers to what is plaguing them in their current moment. Uh, so yeah, some uh, little, little spooky after such an encouraging first two games, even with the Phoenix meltdown. Austin, what do you got to... Be, be, a, be a vibe reporter for us. A translator, if you will. This, this team right now is like when you bake a cake incorrectly and you're trying to figure out where it went wrong. You had all the right ingredients, but you just put a little too much of vanilla extract into this team. And now now it just it tastes a little funny. You can fix it. You have all the ingredients to fix it. You can bake it again. But it's it's just it's just tasting not quite right. Around this time last year, you were using the analogy of bad sex. So yeah, that, that was much worse. In a more, <laughs> we're going, we're at least going in a more family-friendly manner. My dad's not going to mention this analogy <laughs> poorly, which which he did, which he did. Um, a poorly baked cake. Everybody can relate to that. Oh. Dave, vibe check. I mean, I think the vibes for the team are probably fine. It's six games. Um, you know you. Mike, you said they could be one and five. Man, they could be six and zero, oh. and, and that's for real. They lost to the Suns by two points. They lost to the Pelicans, and yes, it was a, considered a bad loss because no Zion, no Brandon Ingram. But uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, Pelicans still played pretty well against other teams without those guys too, right? Like the Pelicans are a really good basketball team. Um, they beat the Nets, which might be you know. That, that's a bad team, so who cares? And they blew one to the Thunder, which, yeah, it's bad, but um, I don't know. Three and three could be one and five, could be six and oh. Seems like a team that's trying to figure out who the hell it is. So I think the vibe check right now is, you know, it's not spooked. They don't seem scared. It's just that, you know, maybe they just don't know who they are yet. I think you're a little spooked if you're blowing leads to Phoenix and to Oklahoma City and to, I mean, yeah. But they you know, blew out the Grizzlies by 40. They did. Right? That was so, a great win. Right. That was a great win. But I'm not going to give them as much credit as you are for, yes, they could have beaten these other teams, but they should have beaten those teams. It's not like they came back 
and lost by two, and it was a closely fought affair. They blew it a 21-point halftime lead at Phoenix. They blew out. I mean, what was the stat that man rolled out the other day about how incomprehensible the Oklahoma City meltdown was? So I don't know. I, I, to me, if you blow those games, there's something a little spooky about that. I, I, it's like I the actually second think... time in 5,000 games that a team had lost <laughs> up 16. <laughs> 5,000 uh, games, Dave. Right, that's insane. <laughs> oh, hang on. I didn't know that stat. That's insane. No, but the truth is, like, we know they're pro. All right. The, the problem right now on the offensive end is the same problem that they've had for a couple of years. And so, like, I don't, I just don't think nobody's getting more bummed out about it because of the first six games. They already knew, oh, crap, who else can do stuff for us besides Luca? They already knew coming into the year that was going to be a problem. I don't think that that's, you know, nobody's uh, banging their head against the wall. I think the thing that, that you got to be concerned with is, are you going to lose some of these guys early on with with the way the rotations are going, right? Like, that's the thing I'm a little bit more worried about than anything else. But I think the results are the results. I mean, it's been a funky year so far for a lot of teams. I mean, I don't think any of us expected the Sixers to start out this slow. I mean, I think we all thought the Lakers would be this bad. But, the, I mean, the Warriors are below 500, right? Like, I think that um, being overly worried right now in this particular season – might be uh, overdoing it just a little bit. There's three big topics I want to get into on this on this podcast. I want to say two things before we do that. Uh, the first is that the Mavs do have the best offense in the NBA, statistically. So we're going to get more into that and why it looks weird. I do want to acknowledge up front that when we say the offensive problem, it's not really a problem. It is and it isn't. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But I just want to get that out of the way up front. The second is that you're right. The team could be 6-0 and because Luka literally missed three shots that would have won three games. And I think you can look and you can play. You can change the way some of those games went leading up to the final buzzer. But that's more revisionist. If you just say Luka made those three shots, if he was just doing clutch heroics, I think everything that I'm planning to say on this podcast, everything probably all of us are about to say on this podcast would still be the same. There would still be troubling uh, undercurrents while framed, you know, just with the idea that this team will be okay because they have Luka. And that would be even more obvious if he had hit three game motors to bail them out in three situations where they almost blew uh, or they did in, in fact blow big leads. But if he had hit the game winner, you know, maybe obviously that would have been different. But I think that we're taking not a results-based approach. Three and three would be fine if the circumstances had been different around them. And we're taking an on-court process. What does this actually look like? So I want to start with with just this team's identity and and, and the identity that they chose coming into the season over the offseason. And Dallas didn't want Jalen Brunson to leave, but he did. Wood wasn't, Christian Wood was not the Jalen Brunson replacement. In fact, he was someone they received basically to dump contracts that they had to dump. He was not ever seen as the Jalen Brunson replacement. That said, Mark Cuban told me as the Brunson negotiations clearly were south and and frankly over, once it was very clear he was going to New York, uh, Mark Cuban told me at one point, you know, Wood is going to replace his scoring. Wood, Christian Wood has not played 30 minutes yet in a game. Not not averages. He has not played 30 minutes in a game yet. In the last five games, he's averaging five, uh, you know, eight shots per game. Kid very clearly doesn't clearly seem to believe in him. Um, to be clear, I, I'm not sure I fully believe in him. I think he started great. I think what he can do to this team, for this team, is fascinating and interesting. Yet, 
I, I guess it's this identity thing where the Mavericks lost a guard and they brought in a player who talent wise is the only chance at, you know, replicating this talent uh, subtraction. And what is this team to do if Christian Wood is not seen as the way to actually make up that talent? And it's a it's a decision. The Mavericks had a choice about the Brunson stuff, kind of. We're not going to get back into that. But once he left, there seemed very clear that they were not even going to, you know, try to fill his role in a in a halfway measure. And that Christian Wood was this team's chance to actually add to a team that, you know, made a conference finals run and then lost its second best player. And yet, is that what it feels like the Mavericks are doing with Christian Wood right now? I would say that they they're still just in an exploratory period with Christian Wood. They, I don't think Kid fully trusts him yet, and he's still trying to bring him along. And also, they, he just doesn't fit their the style that they played last year. You know, they they played a very specific style. They they got used to Bullock and Dorian and Maxi closing games. And I think Kid is just trying to figure out who who's going to close, who's going to close out games. And Wood closed the Oklahoma City game. It didn't really go well. Um, I mean, he did play 18 straight minutes, but it it didn't go well. They when they closed the Nets game, he was a little bit set up to fail. He was a little bit set up to fail, but he also didn't play that well down the stretch. It was it was pretty ugly. It was a pretty catastrophic collapse. I think they're trying to find a way to supplement that, and they've even gone to lineups where like they play Dorian, Maxi, and Wood all together with Luca, and that still felt a little clunky. I think the problem is that Christian Wood is a big man and he's not a guard. I think if he was a if he was just like a scoring wing, it would be much easier for them to just just plug and plug and play him. But the fact that Kid really wants his bigs to play defense, wants him to defend, wants him to know how to screen, wants him to know how to space, and Christian Wood and McGee have sh- haven't really shown that so far. And I think there's a lot of little things that they still need to improve on to get a coherent rotation. But I think you said it. You said it. Is that Christian Wood doesn't fit the style they played last season. Here's the thing. Jalen Brunson is gone. They don't have a third ball handler. You could argue they don't have a second one. And that, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie should be the secondary playmaker. And so all offseason, we talked about whether there would be a stylistic change in Dallas. We, we, we were asking whether Jason Kidd wanted to make this team look like the, you know, look like the championship Lakers. If, if that's the approach he was taking. And that's what it comes down to to me. It still looks in some ways like the Mavericks want to play last year's identity, even though they've set up the roster and the moves that they made over this offseason, that they sort of have to, from a talent perspective, to to replace things, they have to start uh, adding to another style. And that's the surprise I have. We rave, like Mike, we've raved about this throughout the playoffs. This stylistic, this very coherent stylistic identity that the Mavericks had found. Are, are you are you also seeing that that it, it so far it does seem like they're kind of just repeating that with a slightly worth worse roster that you know doesn't fit what brought them so much success last season? I mean, it was really evident in overtime against Brooklyn. You know that once they you know and Jason talked about how they are trying to figure out who that essentially he says crunch time lineup. It's really who's the fifth guy on the floor, right? Because it's been Maxi, it's been the Wings, it's been Luca. When Tim goes out there. That overtime was just the epitome of last year's style of just take threes. And they were hitting threes and they won the game, and that's good. But I think the real pivot point here is, look, a year ago we were talking about how they were not playing Reggie Bullock a lot. 
this time last year. We were wondering where Reggie Bullock's minutes were. Well, they got there. And I do think Christian Wood's minutes will get there. Kid has proven that he will, you know, it's been a marquee acquisition. Sometimes it will take longer to get there. The difference is that because Christian Wood is your pivot point between last year's style and this year's style, you can't, or whatever this year's style could be, you can't actually start changing and finding a new identity and supplementing what you do until you play Christian Wood. So it feels like every game you don't give Christian Wood more run is another game where, like you said, Tim, you're just basically playing a cover band of last year's style with less talent. And I do think, look, they know that they took that to its end point. They played Golden State. Yes, you can look at some of the underlying numbers and maybe better shot luck. They get more games out of that series, but it was only going to go so far. They took that style to the absolute endpoint. They have to do something else. I don't know if they have the talent to make something, an entirely new identity that's that good, but they're only going to start trying. We're only to start learning about it once they start playing wood. So on the one hand, it's yes, trust the coach because kid has earned a little bit of rope from last year, and especially when it comes to bleeding in a new player. But on the other hand, every game you wait as another game that you're kind of kicking the can down the road before you start finding out if whatever you do with wood will actually work come April and May, or if even that needs to be tweaked and you don't know what you're doing for a plan C. It might not work. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not out here saying that Christian yeah. Wood is going to be the second best player. He's going to make the all-star game, any of this stuff. Um, I, I'm not by any means sold of that. It's just that it's the only way this team is going to build upon you know what happened last season, even if we view this season as a transitionary season of some sort. I think Mike kind of nailed it. The only way you figure out what you've got is by playing your best guys. I think Christian Wood is one of the best guys, like right now especially. He is a weapon on offense, and you mentioned that they have the best offense in the league, but the issue is that the offense can dry up when Luka is not generating it. And so him having a good partnership with Christian Wood, that's actually not a concern for me. I, it's. I need Spencer Dinwiddie to have a good partnership with with we'll Christian there. Wood. We'll, we'll I, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, and and I don't know. I, I I like some of what I've seen when he's out there with Maxi, and there are some really good. There are some good points there. Um, but part of it is gonna Maxi's gonna have to hit shots. I mean, definitely has to take them all the time, and that's gonna make things easier too. But if the defense isn't there, Jason Kidd has just proven to us over and over again that the minutes won't be there. So, I mean, I think that the crux of the, the Christian Wood issue is going to be, can he do the stuff defensively to stay on the court so that he can provide what he does on offense? I mean, he's been really good offensively to start the season. So, may, I mean, there's a, maybe that Jason Kidd's cutting off his nose despite his face a little bit. Maybe you take the hit on the defensive end for the bump on the offensive end. I don't know, but... They, they've got to figure it out now. That's why these games don't don't really bother me all that much. Yeah, I, I think Kid just wants to focus on the defense. I think he's shown that he knows that he can get number one offense. That's that they're, they're talented enough with Luka to have a number one offense, but they won't go anywhere if they don't have a top 10 defense and honestly, probably a top five defense. And that's what they were last year for the majority of the season, a top five defense. They were really, really good and really sound. And I think he's trying to rebuild that and trying to find the best path to go about rebuilding that and it's it's just tough like christian wood plays the same position as maxi and as dwight and as javel and you can't play him as a wing you can't play him as a guard you have to play him as a big man position and in my personal opinion the position that's most important on the defensive end is the big man if you have a big man that can't play defense your defense will fall apart and i think kid kind of ascribes to that philosophy and that's what's making this so difficult because he has no problem playing hardaway who's 
fine on the defensive, but doesn't maybe make every rotation. But it's easier to hide a, a guard or a wing than to hide a big. That's like that's the perfect pivot. Thank you, Austin. It's it's that I I do think that Jason Kidd is is focused more on the defensive identity, like you said. You know, we just discussed the offensive identity and and how it may change over the course of the season. How really their only option is to try and see if they can change it. But the defensive identity is d- does seem to be the focus, and I. I admit that when I looked it up, I was a little bit surprised. We're six games in, but Dallas has the eleventh best defense. You know, they're they're more or less a top ten defense. You know, now at the at the far end of that, uh, a lot of their measurables, a lot of the the statistics look good. You know, they allow the eighth fewest shots uh, in the restricted area, so directly at the rim. They're permitting teams to take the seventh most shots in the paint, so that's the floater zone. You know, the the, the tougher looks where you can't get all the way there. Uh, they have the tenth fewest. Uh, corner threes allowed six games a lot of this is dependent on the opponents they've played so far of course but these were the hallmarks of what made the Mavericks good last season not that they had multiple elite elite defenders not that they had some game-changing revolutionary uh, uh, rim protector it's that they knew what shots they wanted opponents to take and they forced them into them um, and it wasn't shots that those opponents were comfortable taking that said I don't think the eye test test has passed as well. I don't think the defense looks as sharp um, or as good as it did last season. Now, it, it maybe it just needs time to rev up. Offense has been up throughout the league. But the big addition, the big change was supposed to be JaVale McGee. And he's been the worst player on the team who's got minutes thus far. Worst plus minus. And when it comes to identity, this was how Jason Kidd wanted to implement more of his defensive identity with a center who he guaranteed a starting spot in July... And these are the results through six games. I've been extremely disappointed in JaVale McGee. I really thought he was going to be a, a, a piece for them that would at least help them figure out who they were, right? Like you're going to get passable center play for 20 minutes a night, and then you can figure out the other 28. But he hasn't been good for the 20 minutes. I, I'm not sure exactly where you can pivot unless you were going to go to Maxi and maybe Christian Wood as your, your starting bigs. But he has been bad. And to your point about the defense, the eye test is important to me on defense early. The intensity that they had last season just is not there right now, right? They are not as forceful. Dorian Finney-Smith was very physical last season, especially in the playoffs. I mean, him and, and Reggie Bullock were, I thought, just, they were like old, it was like Doc Rivers, in Boston, the way his wings used to play defense, they they were really getting into guys. I haven't seen that so far out of anyone in the Mavericks defense. So that rings true to me uh, big time, Tim. I, I think that those numbers are a little bit deceiving. Yeah, the JaVale thing. I mean, look, so I wasn't on the pod before the season with you guys. Um, so I've been the JaVale dissenter. I mean, you could go back, see my Twitter feed. You can see the receipts. I hated that sign when they made it. And it was really just from a big picture perspective of, look, you're giving three years to a 34-year-old player who depends a lot on athleticism. And said 34-year-old player was phased out of the rotation of the team you beat in favor of Bismack Biombo, who was on the street around the new year. And when you look at it from that perspective, well, this is kind of what he's playing like so far. It's early. But the problem is, is that older players don't tend to get better as the year goes along. It tends to be the other direction, right? And so there are things in this team that I, you know, I, I, as Tim stated, and I think it's worth reemphasizing, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that I'm not terribly concerned about long term. 
the rest of the season. There are questions that might determine how good they are, but this is clearly a good team. But on an individual basis, yeah, I'm concerned about the JaVale thing because there wasn't a lot of proof of concept coming off of last year. There were raw skills that we figured and we kind of squinted and said, okay, well, maybe this will help. But when you were playing Phoenix and Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton have whatever the hell is going on in that series, and they still don't want to turn to JaVale for anything useful. You know, I mean, God, at this point, JaVale's biggest achievement thus far in the season is turning public will in favor of Dwight Powell. Because when Dwight makes that start in Oklahoma City, he shows more in 15 minutes than JaVale has all season thus far. Yeah, it's it's been pretty disappointing. I I thought the JaVale signing was going to was going to work out. I was like it's going to be it's going to give you just baseline competence at the center position and give them size and give him rebounding and he doesn't have to play more than 18 20 minutes a night. So I actually wasn't super concerned about him coming into the season and he's been really bad. It's and the thing is for him it's not that he's being bad in that like he's missing shots like a like a wing or a guard. He's not screening that well. He's not offensive rebound in the way that I expect him to offensive rebound and he just looks flat out just lost on defense he just he looks unengaged and just uninterested that New Orleans game was brutal it was absolutely it was, brutal yeah it's it was brutal and that those are things that he has to bring he can't he can't not play hard he can't not rebound he can't not roll and set hard screens those are things that he has to do if he doesn't do those things he doesn't bring any other value on the basketball court so that's that's one thing that's been very disappointing about about his performance well and, if, uh, if and the thing is that was if, my hope for him is that he could just be an effort center who as a plus athlete and again he he's a good passer and there there were a lot of pluses but um not has not been that at all if there's one thing that made the Mavericks defensively good last season, it was their rotations. It was how crisp and on time and in sync they were at all times. And I think that they've very clearly realized that JaVale is not going to be able to do that. They've played more drop coverage with him. And, it, you know, in, in some ways, JaVale is taking away from the identity of what the, made the defense so good last season. Um, he hasn't fit in as a five guys moving in motion, always being in the right places, don't concede open shots. And the tweaks they've tried to make with him also haven't, you know, all of a sudden provided, you know, turned the Mavericks into a team that uh, opponents fear going to the rim against. And if you don't have one or the other, I mean, you could argue that the first one is enough. That if you have a defensive formula that works, don't go away from it. But there was a there was a possibility that they could tweak the style and tweak the identity on, on defense that we've seen here and there, uh, different looks and different ways that they've tried to do that. And that hasn't worked either. And so now we're just left with this eye test that isn't quite passing, more rotations that are clearly being missed, um, an idea that this team will get better at this just like they did last season. Um, again, this is not supposed to be a pessimistic pod that uh, we're predicting the Mavericks aren't going to make the playoffs. But there is just this idea that, okay, you know, where is this next step progress going to come from? If they're trying to change, where's that progress coming from? And if they're trying to stay the same, you probably shouldn't be three and three. You know, if you're just trying to carry over what was working so well last season, you would like to start better than this. They talked a lot about wanting to start the season well. So that's that's you know i guess just the kind of def- defensive questions and in the overview of, of kind of where we're at i want to move to the offense and to luca who has been brilliant absurd you know historic just just, uh, just he's it's dumb it's dumb man it is dumb what he's doing 
Dallas has the best offense. But it's all Luka, it does feel like, in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, all, all is too much. You know, there's no such thing as absolutes. But you want to know something about Luka right now? He has He's on track right now for the second highest usage rate ever. The only player that would have a higher one than him is Westbrook, his MVP season. He'd be the third player to post a usage rate over 40. So that's basically the possessions that end with him when he's on the court. Over 40% are ending with him, with a turnover, with a shot attempt, with a foul. And he's having to do that. What does that look that. like if you add in assists, by the way? That's... Yeah. <laughs> His assist rate is like 50. It's and insane, so, like, I literally, literally nine out of the 10 possessions, um, I believe. That, that math might not quite be right, but, like, three-fourths of the possessions are ending with either him passing, making a shot, or, you know, shooting, getting fouled, turning it over. Yeah. And... He has to right now. He's playing his most minutes um, of, of his career. Uh, he looks up for it in shape-wise, but he, like, there's no other option. The Spencer Dinwiddie lineups where Spencer is the only point guard uh, haven't been that good. Uh, Dinwiddie is, has the second worst plus minus on the team at minus 17. Uh, only McGee is worse. And so we're just left with this idea of, wow, this is incredible. Let's start there. But also, is this sustainable? <laughs> well, and I think no. that is worth asking. Um, even if it's and, and even if it is sustainable for the regular season, it's toast it in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing, right? So sustainability during the regular season, I don't know, man. That's that you're rolling the dice. Who knows? This is think about drop coverage, right? Heliocentric offense. We know you, when you have a player of his caliber, James Harden, you know, you, you're going to this is your floor is pretty high when you have those guys just doing 90 percent of everything. And it's going to win you a decent amount of games in regular season as long as you have the pieces around him, which I think Dallas has playoffs, though. It's a wrap. And we already know that there's just a there is a ceiling, a hard ceiling on heliocentric offenses in the playoffs. So for the regular season, it's fine, but you're also going to wear his ass out by the time you even get to April and May, hopefully, right? Like who knows if he makes it to the playoffs. So you've got to figure this out now. And this is why Christian Wood's super important. Well, and it's not just the wearing out until April and May, right? For me, this is almost irresponsible on a big picture level because I think we're conditioned when we follow sports to think, okay, they play a season they get an off season and it kind of resets and you start from zero. No, this is an odometer, right? Every great player only has so many minutes in their legs and so many high octane minutes. And yeah, he's 23, okay? Like if he does this all year, maybe even another year or two, what's the real impact at the end? But you know what? The, you're, they're asking so much, not just the minutes on the floor, but to do everything, to make these high octane minutes. There are no minutes off. There are no possessions off when you play like this. And what does the bill come do earlier than it might for another player down the road. This is unknowable, but you're tempting fate if you keep asking him to do this year after year after year and then suddenly expect, oh, he'll just age like a normal 27-year-old. We don't know. But if this is truly a transition year and this is truly a, we don't know what this team is, but let's play it out and recoup assets and we'll make the big swing in a year or two, you don't want your star player to be burned out by the time his supporting cast actually arrives and he's ready. The whole ecosystem around him is ready to win, not just him. I, I want to go back to Luca's second year. And you remember, he started in fantastic shape. Do you do you guys remember how beat down he was late February, early March when the season shut down? Do y'all remember that? Yeah, the ankle. Yeah, ankle. yeah he I had mean, that ankle injury. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He just had nagging injuries. So 
Luca is averaging the most free throws of his career, but it's all minutes. He's he's getting fouled at the same rate he got fouled at that second season, and he's just playing more minutes, which is leading, you know, and he's and he's shooting more, which is leading to even more like same rate, you know, for each field goal attempt he takes, he's taking the same number of free throws, you know, the the same ratio, but he's shooting more. He's having to shoot more. His usage is up. His minutes are up. I find it really hard to believe that all of this contact, all of this wear, all of this load um, will not wear on him throughout the season, even in the regular season, even when we get to this March period. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, some of this is the way opponents have played Dallas thus far. Um, and we saw, you know, like Orlando started just switching everything, saying, Luca, we're not going to help, you know, go post up bull bull. And Luca was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, like that, that I, I weigh more than that guy. I weighed like twice what he weighed when I started last season, you know. Um, and and he can do that. But and he finally broke them out of it. And finally, Jamal Mosley was like, all right, I cannot let this guy continue. You know, I can't let him score 60 on us. And finally, the double started coming and the Mavericks offense looked more like the ball movement offense that we're used to. But it does start with, you know, teams are kind of recognizing that wearing Luka down to some extent and making him score is a more reasonable approach than, you know, alternatives, especially because there are not other shot creators and ball handlers outside of Spencer Dinwiddie and Christian Wood. And so from an identity perspective, you know, this does circle back to the offensive identity that we were talking about with Christian Wood and and with Jalen Brunson's departure. They're just going to... You know, like so much is going to continue to be on Luca, and I do think there's questions. I, I do think it's worth considering what effect that's going to have. You know, not just by the playoffs, but you know, even before that. Yeah, and I think it's also kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy with the players because I think all the players have been playing with them for so long that they're just conditioned to look for Luca. Once once he gives up the ball, they're giving the ball right. Even actually, Christian Wood is actually does this too already, and they've only played together for five or six games. The only <laughs> the only player on the roster that I've seen that will just take shots without looking at Luca is Jaden Hardy. That's the only person who I know. Like he's, I'm going to get my shot no matter what. That's the only person that I think would actually affect Luca's roost rating on the roster. And obviously, he's not going to play a large a large role this season. And furthermore, I think. It's kind of sustainable. Luca's not shooting the ball well from three. He's a historic two point. He's like basically two thousand Shaq right now at the rim. He's scoring at an unbelievable rate and getting to the rim and finishing at the rim in a way that he hasn't done before since that basically since his second year. And yes, he will probably run get run into the ground. But do they have another actual? option to counteract this i don't i don't think they have that on this roster even christian wood still needs someone to get him the ball in the post and it's still a little clunky trying to get him his shots and his touches he, and he doesn't play enough minutes really to affect usage lucas usage rating the only thing that would have affected lucas usage rating was another year of jalen brunson but they don't have that so i unless they pull off a trade i just don't see how they shift to another offensive identity and, and that's why we talked about what we talked at the start is that there, like, there really needs to be a shift. If they had wanted to play more like they did last season, even after they realized Brunson was going to leave, um, you know, I almost hate to bring it back up, but it's this is more about identity. Goran Dragic would have signed, and they viewed him as a, you know, every few games player. Dragic is averaging 17 minutes for the Bulls. That's all that he would average here. Yeah, 
he's been he's been okay, a little unsustainable. He's shooting like fifty percent on on threes and like thirty five on twos. So I I can't say that I've actually watched him. His his he is producing. Um, perhaps by the end of the season, it's just going to be very clear that you know as the season wears on that he's just not ineffective. It's not. This isn't really about Dragic, who I, I think maybe they're right that you know he just wasn't a fit at this age with this team. But you talk about somebody being able to take the ball out of Lucas' hands or, you know, look for his own shot and compliment with him. And again, play 17 minutes a night, not 25 or 30. Um, you know, they went, they they stylistically chose to go a different route with this offense. And the only way that it really makes sense to build on it is to try out this Christian Wood thing, in my opinion. And if it doesn't work, well, then you have your solution, you know, it's your more information. and you can try. Exactly. So... And that's why I, know, I do man. think and that's why I do think they'll get there sooner than later, just because, you know, Jason last year was pretty upfront about using the regular season as a laboratory for the playoffs. He yeah. knows this stuff. And so I, I'm sure he's trying to toe the line between, you know, knocking Christian Wood over the head proverbially and saying this is what we need you to do, but also not waiting too long. I don't think this is gonna be a thing where in two months we're sitting here going, why isn't Christian Wood playing more? Uh but it's yeah, the sooner it happens, the sooner you start finding stuff out and whether it's going to work, you have to figure out plan C, if there even is one. So I, I think that the best podcasts are sometimes like uh, therapy. And we've just <laughs> oh, been shit. 34 minutes talking about the Mavericks and this 3-3 three and three start. Let's do one more. Talk about my childhood check. now? Let's, let's, do, <laughs> let's do after this conversation, vibe check. How are we feeling? Dave. I mean, I'd say I feel about the same. I, I think we we all kind so of therapy does agree. not work on Dave. So I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, but we we kind of we kind of all feel the same way. Like the the way forward is to continue experimenting. But you have got, you've got to at least experiment with your best pieces. That's it. I'm gonna send you a promo code to Better Health. Better help. <laughs> better help. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, uh, Mike, where are we at? Vibe check. Uh, have you have you shifted, or do you feel better? Do you feel worse after this conversation about the Mavericks? I mean, I like to think we're all pretty level headed people, and we all, you know, even one very great thirty minute conversation will only change so much. If you want to, if you want to improve my vibes, let's just spend a few minutes. We can talk about Josh Green. That'll get my vibes through the roof, people. That's the the vibes champion of the early season so far. After Luca, you stole my point. That was that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> By all means, pick it up, man. I mean, we drive the the Josh Green bandwagon, so get on here with me. I mean, yeah. I mean, people were talking about, oh, does Christian Wood need to close? Like, is that going to be a solution? I, I honestly think they would just do better if they just close with Josh Green occasionally. He just provides a little more dynamism in their closing lineup. If they want to run out that same lineup with Dorian and Maxi and Hardaway and, and Luca, I would just throw Josh Green in there. He's He's been really good for them. It's been positive. He's the only time where they pick up their defensive energy uh, in the game, and his shot looks great. It's been, <laughs> I think he has the highest true shooting percentage in the league right now. <laughs> but uh, he's the best plus minus on the team, and he has the best plus minus, and by like a, a significant margin. And I think yeah. he provides a little bit of dynamism when they stall out closing games, where people where they're just passing the ball like hot potato, and no one wants to make a drive or make a progressive pass and i think he could add that to that at least to that fourth quarter group i didn't give my vibe check to start the show so i'll do it now um i think there's more reasons to believe in the optimism we felt coming into the season than there's reasons to you know dwell or have this you know some pessimism that's 
creeping in. Um, it, it's still very clearly that uh, more, you know, I, I think my approach or, or my view of the steam is very clearly still more optimistic. Um, it, it was optimistic. It remains optimistic. And so this is a good team. They're, they're going to play better than they have. Um, and they're going to make the playoffs. You know, that's not a concern. It's, it's going to be awfully fun to watch Luca win MVP. Um, you know, even if this might not be the best approach to, you know, him and his season and his usage, it's going to be fun. You know, you can't deny that, you know, six games of Luca scoring 30 plus every single night is uh, not enjoyable and fun. And so I think vibes are okay. Um, there's some things to watch, but they're okay. And most importantly, the vibes on this podcast, they're always good. They're always great, even. It's good to have the family together again. And so, Dave, Mike, Austin, appreciate you guys. Listeners, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, Big Dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Shut it down! Let's go home! (laughs) It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap.